You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. And that's a good thing, as it should be. So... um... It is a privilege to be here with you. Um, as Pastor James mentioned, we are from Iowa, northeast Iowa. We have been in what's called the polar vortex. If you've seen that on the news, we have been a victim of the polar vortex. And um, we have not seen sunshine, I mean real sunshine, in a very long time. So uh, Iowa is full of grumpy, grouchy people. And uh, we are trying not to be that way because you're locked in your house all winter long. Uh, and it was hard not to covet what you have here in sunshine uh, because it is beautiful here. Um, but in, uh, in Iowa, it's been a long, cold winter, so it is a great privilege, privilege for us to be here uh, with you and the church family. Um, in uh, May of 2013, um, uh, my wife and I were standing in the kitchen, and we were having a conversation. Um, and I just completed my, uh, some of my schoolwork on uh, some theology training I'd been doing, and uh, at the time, I was having this conversation with Christy. I looked over and I said, you know, uh, I don't think that we need to go to Springfield, Missouri to participate in the graduation ceremony for the schooling that we just completed. And she just gives me that look that wives give husbands. <laughs> How many of you know what I mean? There's a certain look that a wife can give a husband. And um, I said, Christy, I'm too busy. I'm a pastor. got a lot going on. We really don't want to stop and take the time to go down and participate in the ceremony. I mean, it's a good thing, but I just felt like it wasn't uh, something I wanted to take time for. And my wife looked at me and she said, you know, Eric, you just don't know uh, whom you might meet down there. And her words just really, really pricked me. And I just thank God for a wife that listens to God. (laughs) And sometimes, guys, as you know, uh, it's wise to listen uh, to what your wife is saying because uh, God used Christy that morning Uh, It's very possible I would not have gone to participate in this ceremony in Springfield uh, and as a result would not have met James and Shauna. Um, It was at that uh, experience in Springfield, we just happened to sit next to this couple uh, and their son, Jacob, and we, we, my mom was actually with me and we got to talking and uh, James and I just started, we just had a connection. I, I cannot explain it. Um, James and I had conversation, and we just clicked immediately, and a friendship was born that day. That it was a brotherhood, really. And you know, that's the thing about being a follower of Christ. Sometimes you just get this connection, and you just feel this connection to somebody, and it's because there's this, there's this God, God connection for you. And clearly, uh, James was that. I just felt this instant brotherhood with him, and we just laughed, and we talked, and we just, we've stayed in touch over the years. So uh, it's been a privilege to get to know uh, the Reese family, and we've, we've met Jacob, and we haven't had the chance to meet their other, uh, their older kids as well, but we look forward to that. And so thank you for the time here this morning with you. It is, is a privilege to be here, and Pastor James, thank you for the opportunity to be in uh, sharing your pulpit with me this morning. Um, when I was a child, I wanted to be Spider-Man. Um, Spider-Man had these button things on his hand. I don't know what they were, but he could push that button, and he could shoot a web out, and he could attach that web to a building, he could attach it to whatever, he could climb a wall, he could swing places, he could go places and do things that um, I wanted to do. 
when I was a kid, I had a poster in my bedroom of a man by the name of Lyle Alzado. Does anybody know who that is? Some of you, some of you older school people will know who Lyle Alzado is, uh, or was, rather. Lyle Alzado was this big hulk of a football player back in the day. I believe he played with Denver. Some of you, I can see those faces. You know who I'm talking about. When I was a kid, I looked up to this guy. I had his poster in my bedroom, and I thought, man, this is, I want to be like this guy. This guy is just awesome, you know, these great big football players. So I just had these dreams when I was a kid. I wanted to do something special. I wanted to do something awesome with my life. I wanted to be a part of something big like I saw these people. What about you? When you were a child, what did you want to be, really? Think about that for a moment. In fact, I want you to write it down in your bulletin. On your bulletin, I asked you a question in your insert. What did you want to be when you were a child? Was it a superhero? Was it a person? There was probably something when you were a kid. If some of you may have to go back a few more years than others. What did you want to be? Take a moment and do that, really. I'll give you about 15 seconds. Just think and write that down in your bulletin for me, will you? Go ahead and do that. Do you have it? Now look at your neighbor and see what they wrote down. <laughs> you go take a peek, just peek over, make fun of them if you have to a little bit. You know, you, you can lose that sense of uh, dreaming when, from childhood. Um, but there's something that was put into us. There's something that's been wired into our being that tells us we were meant to be a part of something greater, something bigger than ourselves. that we're supposed to take on a mission in this life. We were created for something more. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, you know, there are all kinds of missions in life. In, in, in 1959, some of you may remember Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile uh, that was a huge accomplishment, 1959, uh, running the four-minute mile, running the, breaking the, uh, the mile under four minutes. Uh, in 1969, some of you may remember what happened in 1969. What happened? Major accomplishment or a major mission was accomplished uh, as we put human beings on the moon. So throughout humanity and life, people have accomplished great things. There's just something in us that calls to do something greater with who we are, with our existence. You know, how do you know that you're on the right mission for your life? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions because I really want you to think this morning. How do you know that you're on the right mission? We're going to look at that this morning. In fact, how do you know that your mission isn't done? Well, well in preparing this, in preparing, uh, this sermon... Um, I found a quote by an author named Richard Bach, and this is what he said. Here's a test to find whether your mission on earth is finished. If you're alive, it isn't. Now, do we have any dead people in here this morning? Look at your neighbor. Are they dead? Poke them, wake them up. Pastor James may be sleeping over there because I know he's tired, but he's still, he's, he's still alive. 
If you, I thought this was a great quote about our life's mission. If you are alive, your mission is not over. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in, whether you're on the young end or you're on the seasoned end, your mission is not finished. And we're going to take a look at some missions this morning. In fact, I love your motto in this church is to be mission-minded and grace-led. I love that. It's on your vans. It's on your website. And I love that, that Pastor James has built that into the DNA of this church. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we were given the great commission, right? Matthew 28, we were told by Jesus Christ to go forth to make disciples, teaching them everything, baptizing them that he had taught us. That's the great commission. We're going to break that down a little bit uh, throughout this morning. Now, the bad news is I was never a successful football player. <laughs> the bad news is I was never Spider-Man. But I did have the underoos. Do you remember underoos? <laughs> Come on, let's just get honest here. You remember underoos? Yeah, some of you know you had some of them too. I had the Spider-Man underoos, which were my favorite, and I still have them actually. No, I don't. That's a terrible joke. I do not have them anymore. But I never got to be Spider-Man. That's one dream that had to die. I never got to be a football player like Lyle Alzado. Uh, that's a dream that had to die. So that's the bad news. But the good news is there's a greater mission. There's a greater mission. There's a greater story that we're called to be a part of. And if you're a Christ follower and you're in here this morning, you are called to be a part of something far greater. Um, and we're going to look at that this morning. In Scripture... There are a lot of pictures of, of, of people and groups of people who took on missions in this life, different, different kinds of missions. This morning we're going to look at those, and we're going to compare them, and we're going to study them. We're going to make observations, and we're going to ask the Lord to search our heart about the mission that we're on right now. Uh, but before we get into this morning's text, let's, uh, let's just open in prayer. So pray with me, please. Father, uh, we come with... Open hearts, soft hearts, Lord. God, give us ears to hear uh, what you're saying today, Lord. I'm just a vessel. There's nothing that I can do to change a person's life. There's nothing I'm capable of. I'm just a vessel, Lord. It is your spirit that speaks to hearts and whispers truth to the innermost being of, of your people. Lord, I pray for someone in here this morning that perhaps doesn't know Christ, that their heart would grow a little softer, their mind a step more open to the work of Christ in their life, to your plan for their life, to the mission you've called them to. Father, I ask you to bless the rest of our time together. Thank you for the privilege of this moment. And may you be glorified in our time together, in Christ's name, amen. amen. So this morning, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture that describe two types of missions, and we're going to compare these missions side by side, and then we're going to make some observations and pray about applying ideas to our life. The first mission we're going to look at was a mission that was taken on in Genesis chapter 11. Um, but before we get there, let me give you just a little bit of context leading up to Genesis chapter 11. You know, as you read the book of Genesis, you'll see um, 
the beginning of our existence, the beginning of humanity. Uh, in the beginning, God created. And you see, you follow the thread of the story in Genesis, ultimately leading up to Noah's flood, you know, uh, the wickedness that grew on the earth. And then we see the judgment that comes. Genesis 6 through 9 paints a picture of, um, of the wickedness and the judgment. And then God preserving Noah and his sons and family uh, to start over again based on the earth. Genesis 10 begins to tell us how after the flood, the people groups begin to organize across the earth. And then Genesis 11, which we're going to look at here in a moment, narrows the focus onto a particular people group um, that we, we will call this morning the Babylites. That's whom I will call them. Uh, that's not technically what Scripture calls them, but I will call them the Babylites because we're going to look at their mission this morning. But Genesis chapter 11 tells us their story, tells us about a mission that they were on, and tells us the results of the mission that they took. So let's look at the text, and then we'll make some observations. So Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9. I want to read the passage, and then we'll come back and make some observations. So now the whole world, this is Genesis 11, 1, had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the men, that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So here in Genesis 11, you have this people group, and they're in, in what Scripture is telling us, they've moved to the east, and they've made a decision as they begin to settle in this place in the east that the Scripture says, that they would build a tower. They would construct some kind of a monument to celebrate their awesomeness, make a name for themselves. They would unify, come together, and build a monument that would, would tell the rest of the world about how great they are. There are so many sermon truths within this passage, I don't have time to go through all of them. But I want to make three specific observations, and we'll do that in the form of asking some questions. And I will ask you some questions. So let me ask you the first question before we make our first observation. In this situation, who took the initiative on the mission? Who initiated the mission as you read that text? Who was it? Somebody knows it, just shout it out. The people did, right. It was the Babylites. The Babylites took the initiative to do the mission, right? We see that there in the text. Now, whose name were they making great as a result of taking on this mission? Thank you, their own. There's this idea that we've got to make a name for ourselves. 
You know, this idea is not unlike a lot of philosophy today. And the truth is, if you're not following Christ, it's very normal to attempt to make a name for yourself. Take a look at this quote from somebody who's very, very successful in their field. I believe you make your day, you make your life. So much of it is all perception. And this is the form that I have built for myself. I have to accept it and work within those compounds, and it's up to me. Brad Pitt, very successful actor. And I'm not here to beat up on Brad Pitt. But I think what his words tell us are a great example of what we're talking about, at least in this mission. It is very normal if you're not following Christ to follow the path of making a name for ourselves. I mean, if you're not a Christ follower, it makes sense that you would go set out to make a name for yourself. Now, when you become a Christ follower, which we're going to look at this morning, that's going to be challenged, particularly. But you look at this philosophy and you recognize so many in this life set out to make a name for, for themselves. And the idea is that it's up to me to make things happen. So that's our first, our first initiative or our first observation in this passage. The Babylonians took the initiative and their mission was self-glorifying. Do you see that in the text? So as we look at their mission, they initiated it and it was glorifying the person themselves. Great. Let's make another observation in the form of a question. Who was missing from this, the Babylonians' mission? Who was not included? God's not. Do you, do you see that in the text? There's no God in the mission. It's a man-centered mission. This mission's going to be done. It's going to be done by man. Very similar to the philosophy we, we just read. It's up to me. Do you, do you recognize that in the text? It's important we see that. Because in this kind of a mission, it's a man-centered mission. It's up to the person. And the Babylonians' mission was taken on apart from God. In other words, observation number two, the Babylonians' mission was divorced from God. Do you see that? So observation one, the Babylonians took the initiative. Their mission was self-glorifying. Observation two, the Babylonians' mission was divorced from God. You, you following me on that? Yeah, it's important we look at this and we learn. I want to make one more observation about this particular mission. How long do towers last? What do you think? They don't go forever, do they? Unfortunately, within our own nation, over 10 years ago, we know this to be true. Within the process of I don't know how many minutes it was, one plane into a tower could destroy that entire tower and, and thousands of lives can be destroyed. As wonderful as the pyramids of Egypt are and were, they're still falling. They're still failing. There is not a tower you can build that will last forever. So the mission that the Babylonians took on, not only was it initiated by them, glorifying themselves, did they divorce the, their mission from God? The Babylonians' mission, number three, was temporarily significant. Do you see that? Yep. So they took on a mission that was not going to last forever. 
Again, if, you're not, if, you're, if you have no God in the center, if there's no God in the mix, it's very normal. You're going to go out and you're just going to do something and you're going to make a name for yourself, but you're going to make a name for yourself that won't last. So that's mission one, the Babylonites' mission. Now I want to fast forward to chapter 12 of Genesis. I would really encourage you um, in your week to read these passages especially uh, most of Genesis 12, because we, we only have time to hit five verses, the first five verses of Genesis 12 this morning, and recognize, uh, let God speak to you more about what we're talking about. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have a different kind of mission that's going to come about. And we're going to compare these two missions again. So Genesis chapter 12 tells us the story of a man by the name of Abram. How many of you know the song, Father Abraham? Father <laughs> Abraham and many sons. Come on, you know. Abram, at this time, was called Abram, who would become Father Abraham, was the founding father of our faith. You could really say that, which, and I'll make some connections to that in a moment. But Abraham is one of the most significant uh, figures within all of Christianity. And it all started right here on the mission he was given in Genesis 12. Now, God, uh, Abram married a woman named Sarai, ultimately who would become Sarah. But Sarai was barren. At the time he married her, she could not have children. And that's significant to the story. So let's take a look at the passage. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 70, did you get that 75? Do we have any 75-year-olds in here this morning? <laughs> Put yourself in Abram's shoes. He was 75 years old when he was called out, when he was given his mission. That's significant. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 5, gives us a picture of the calling that God himself would give to Abram. Let's make some observations similar to what we did with the Babylonites' mission. Who did the calling or who initiated this mission? You see the difference? Mission 1, the Babylonites, self-initiated. Mission 2, Abram's mission, was God-initiated, wasn't it? The Lord came to him. The Lord had a plan. The Lord called him out. Now, who was going to be blessed as a result of Abram taking on this mission? All the peoples of the earth would be blessed as a result of this man's obedience. How is that different than the Babylonites' mission? Make the comparison. Yeah, remember the Babylonites' mission was man-initiated, and it was self-glorifying, right? 
Abram's missions got initiated and others focused. Do you see that? Do you see that's really significant? Abram's mission was God-initiated. It was others-oriented. And did you note that God said, I will make your name great? What did the Babylites say? Let's make our name great, right? Yeah, you see the comparisons here? It's so important that we compare these side by side and we ask God to speak to our heart about what we're doing and how we're living, the mission that we're on. So tempting to be on a temporary mission. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But God himself said, I will make your name great. But it's not for you to be a blessing unto yourself. You are called to be a blessing to others. A mission from God is always designed to bless someone else. Always. It is never for the person. It is for the others, those whom would would be blessed as a result of the mission that we take on. Let's make another observation. At the time of the calling to Abraham, as I said, he was 75 years old. God told Abram, I will, give you, I, will make, I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars. But remember, he married a barren woman. This was scientifically impossible. 75 years old, he was given this promise. Does anybody know how many years it took before uh, his son was born? It actually says it in the text. If you read further on, it was 25 years before that baby was born. 100, it's what the text will say. If you continue to read through Abram's life this week, you'll see that that baby was born when Abram was 100 years old. He had to be tested. It took 25 years. I I can't wait 10 minutes on the tee box for the next guy to go ahead of me. 25 years he had to wait to see this promise come about that God gave him. I don't like waiting in line at McDonald's. But this mission was going to be tough. And it was going to require faith. And it was going to be long and it was going to be hard. But if he would obey and he would receive this mission, God was going to do something that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed by. That is significant. That is significant. You know, Abram had to surrender his national identity, his group identity, and his family identity. If you read that in the first couple of verses, you'll see. He left his people. It says, uh, it says uh, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. There's a cost to taking on this kind of a mission. Walking away from some things. Walking away from a people group who are not good for you. Taking on that mission. You see the difference compared to the Babylonites' mission? Well, Abram's mission was God-dependent. And it required severe testing. How's that different from the Babylonites' mission? Self-dependent, wasn't it? Remember? The Babylonites' mission was self-dependent. But this thing, Abram's mission was not going to happen. It was an impossible mission unless God himself was involved. In fact, if you read, if you begin at Genesis 12, 1, and you count how many I wills there are between verse 1 and verse 5, you'll find five I wills in those passages. And who's the I will? God is. I will do this. I will do this. This thing's dependent on my power, not on your ability. This, this mission I'm giving you, I will take care of it. You just need to be faithful. You need to be obedient, and you need to trust me. 
I will, I will, I will take care of it. Very God-dependent mission. One more observation and comparison. If you were to read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and about 16, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Galatian believers something about Abraham. He's teaching them that it was this mission that Abram would take on that would eventually bring the gospel, ultimately making it possible for us to know Christ. The gospel began with Abram's obedience in Genesis 12. Did you know that? And Paul teaches that. If you were going go home this week and read Galatians 3, you'll see where Paul talks about that. How long and how much impact do you think Abram's mission was going to have? Timeless, eternal. Abram's, you see the difference here? Abram's mission was timeless. Eternity. Eternity would forever be impacted because of one man accepting a mission and a calling from God and his obedience. How is that different from the Babylonites' mission? Yeah, you remember the Babylonites' mission? It was temporary. Right? You see where I'm going with this? And Abram's mission it was timeless. In fact, we could say the reason we are here today as followers of Jesus Christ was that one man's obedience way back then. Because, you know, Christ came from the line of Abram, the line of Shem, who was the son of Noah. You could trace it all out in Scripture. Christ himself would come from that line, and he is the blessing to all nations Amen. and all generations. He is the eternal Savior, the eternal Christ, as a result of one man's obedience. So I wanted to just pull those missions out of Scripture, compare them side by side, and now move to the most important part of the message, which is the application. You know, it's, it's easy to want to beat up on the Babylonites and tell them, you guys were losers. You didn't get it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Obviously, you don't go build out a name for yourself. But I think that we have to be careful. You know, we were given the great commission by Christ in Matthew 28. And all of our individual missions are called to be taken from the great commission. The great commission is lived out in your life in a very specific way. Whether you're a teacher, a retiree, stay-at-home mom, a working person, whatever your life situation is, you're called to live the Great Commission out in a way that God tells you to. It may look a little bit different for each person, but it can be very tempting to take on a Babylonite mission even as a Christian. It's tempting in ministry. Uh, pastors, and I know your pastor's not like this. I've been listening to his messages but it can be so tempting in ministry to want to make a name for yourself. And it becomes more about you and less about eternity. It becomes more about your tower and your awesomeness and a whole lot less about Christ. That's a real temptation. And I believe it's a temptation for Christ followers. So we have to look at that this morning. I found a great example of this, and then I'll give you a personal example. Tell me if you know who this person is. 
He was a two-time NFL MVP, 1999-2001, was the, named the Super Bowl 34 MVP after leading the Rams to a victory over the Tennessee Titans. Anybody know who that is? Thank you, Kurt Warner. You know, we have a connection with Kurt Warner, you and I. He's from Iowa. He played at UNI, which is the neighbor town of mine. And he now lives in Arizona, I believe, still lives in Arizona. And I know he played for Arizona. Kurt Warner is, is a tremendous guy. I read, I read his book, and I was really impressed by it. And I found this quote that Kurt Warner gives uh, on his website. I was really impressed. This is what he says. He says, I was raised in the church, so faith in God were part of my life. But for me, it was just kind of there. There on Sundays, and when I was going through a, a tough time, I always had God as a background, but I never truly accepted Jesus until I was about 25 years old. My Arena League teammates, a pastor friend, and my future wife were constantly asking me questions about my beliefs, and I began to question where I was and whether I had really put my complete faith in God. Their questions led me to the truth that faith is about a relationship, and it's about Jesus. Up to that point, I had never really considered that. I struggled for so long, and so many things went against me. I was swimming upstream when I finally gave my life over to God. It was then the joy and happiness came into my life. Now listen to this. this is a great quote. Now I realize my role here on earth is not to throw touchdown passes and win football games, although that is the position and the platform I have been given. I realize my goal is to win as many people to Jesus as possible. I have an open-door policy where I'm able to talk about what is important to me, and obviously God is number one. That is tremendous. This man has achieved a great deal of athletic success. And he has found the perspective that his mission is not, it goes far beyond throwing touchdown passes, winning trophies that rust. He recognizes, he's a great example of this, that his mission is timeless. He's called to use his platform that he's been given to bring the gospel to as many people as he can in his time here on this earth. Let me give you one more example, and then I just want to move towards, um, towards a prayer time. Um, in, in 1995, I came to Christ. I became a Christian. I actually lived in Phoenix for about 10 years. Uh, I moved there in 93 and, and left in, in 03. Uh, but I came to Christ in a church in Phoenix. And in 1995, uh, I had a great, great job and built an, an awesome career. I really liked what I did for years. Uh, I became a Christian. I was working uh, in, a, in a great position, but I was also a, a Christ follower. I went to church. I was always some kind of a volunteer leader in the church. I was always helping the church. And my plan was when I was going to finish my career, I wanted to start my own business, make a lot of money, <laughs> and help the local church. That was my plan. I wanted to step out of, uh, of a corporate job and work in a, in a make my own money kind of job and just always serve the local church. About 2007, uh, I was playing in a, just a fun little basketball game, and I tore my Achilles tendon. Has anybody ever done that? Uh, that's awful. <laughs> I was laid up for weeks with a snapped Achilles tendon. And um, God began to, I began, I was working on my plan. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, finish business. I mean, I'm going to finish this job. And I'm writing all this down, right? I'm putting together a business plan, and I'm going to launch my business by this year, and these are the, this is the income that I'm going to need to do this. And I'm writing out this very thorough business plan, and I'm bringing it to God and saying, yep, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a name for myself in business. I'm going to make a lot of money so I can help your church. Now, I'm a Christ follower, you understand. Um, 
and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this with my life. And through a series of experiences, God began to show me, time out, cowboy. <laughs> whose, whose kingdom are you trying to build? Whose mission are you really on? I know you, I know you love me, and you're following me. Whose mission are you on? Do you want my mission, or do you want to go and build a tower that won't last? God called me out of that businessy world, asked me to lay down the temporary tower I began to build. I've called you into full-time ministry. I've called you into pastoral leadership. The timeless mission I am assigning you is pastoral leadership. Will you accept it? Okay. Through a series of experiences, it wasn't quite that black and white, but it was, I promise me, it wasn't that easy. I'll just give you the short version for time's sake. But through a series of experiences, God revealed to me that, Eric, you're building a tower, and that's not my plan for you. And I responded to that calling. So in 2008, um, I accepted the fact that God had called me into full-time ministry, and then by 2009, uh, he had opened a door for me to start ministering in Iowa, where I've been since, uh, in full-time pastoral ministry. But the truth is, I was a Christ follower who loved God, wanted God's plan, at least I thought, but I struggled within my own self that I wanted to build a tower to my name. And, and that's my challenge to you this morning. You know, in church, it's so tempting to act like we have it all together and it's easy to put on that image like, I'm good, I don't do anything wrong, me and God, we're solid, there's no problem. But the truth is we have to be willing to step back and ask the hard questions as Christians. And we have to ask God, are we building temporary towers with our life? Or are we on a mission that he has given us? And that's what I want to ask you. What temporary towers might you be building in your life right now? It's not a question you're called to answer to me or to anyone here. It's between you and God. So I want to encourage you this morning, if, if you're, uh, you know, some kind of a, uh, an athlete or some kind of a business person or uh, whatever your life is like, if you're a retiree, are you struggling with the temptation that you're building a name for yourself and not really on mission for God? I go back to your motto that Pastor James has built into your church to be mission-minded and grace-led. I love that idea. And I really want to challenge you, Christ follower, if you're building a temporary tower, to let that tower go this morning. I'm going to give you a little time just to do some prayer and examine. And then I want you to ask. I want you to ask God, what is his mission? Now, for me, it was going into full-time pastoral ministry, and I'm not saying that's true for everybody, obviously. But he might say to you, if you're a school teacher, I want you to get a mission as a school teacher in the school I have assigned you there for a set amount of time and I want to use your teaching skills. I want you to go in there with an eternal mindset. When you see those little ones, I want you to pray for them in, in ways that are appropriate or however that works. Maybe you're, you, you're in some kind of a position or maybe you're, you're a retired person and God is saying to you, your mission's not over. You're not done. I want you to think of Caleb. If you know the story of Caleb, <laughs> Caleb was, I think he was 80 when he charged the land. Abram was 75. 
If you're alive, your mission is not done. And I don't know what that looks like, but that's between you and God. Maybe it's a mission to pray more. Maybe it's a mission to be a mentor. Maybe it's a mission to use your wisdom and your experiences to teach the next generation. But somehow, someway, you've got something to offer God's mission.